the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We need to take seriously the threat from Iran, who has determined to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Because Persia tried it once before, and Persia is going to try it again. Now, personally, I think that America should be as pro-Israel as we possibly can be. I think that we should be on the side of what God has said in Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless Israel, and I will curse those who curse Israel. So I think personally as a nation, we should be intentional about being supportive and a good ally of Israel. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Esther. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Esther, He'll be reminding us that it's not a new situation that's going on in the Middle East. It's not a surprise that all the nations surrounding Israel want it to be destroyed. It's especially no surprise that Iran desires to eradicate Israel off the face of the earth, because Persia has sought out to do this once before. There is demonic powers working behind the scenes, influencing the world to hate the Jewish people simply because God's redemptive plan was brought through them. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Esther chapter 4 for part 2 of today's message titled, For Such a Time as This. Why is it that among several ancient cultures, if you know a little bit about world history, why is it that there's such disparaging differences between populations? When you look, for example, at the Chinese who have been around, around, they trace their heritage back about 5,000 years. How many Chinese are there today in the world? About 1.2 billion. You look at the people of India who also trace their heritage back about 5,000 years. How many Indians are there in, their, in the world? About 1 billion. But you look at the Jews who trace their heritage back also about 5,000 years. How many Jews are there in the world today? Not 1.2 billion, not 1 billion, but approximately 14 million. That's it. And even slightly more Jews live in the United States than do live in Israel. About 6.5 million live in the United States, about 6 to 7 million in Israel, and the, the difference scattered around the rest of the world, mainly through Europe. Why is it that there are 1.2 billion Chinese, 1 billion Indians, and only 14 million Jews? The answer is because the Jewish people have been hated and slaughtered and dispersed from their homeland, unlike any other ancient people group. And it wasn't until 1948, 
which was a miracle in fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 37, when the Jewish people reasserted their claim to the land of Israel and came back and gathered together the dry bones that took on flesh, Ezekiel 37 talks about, and the nation again took form that was a miraculous thing. And again, it's because the Jewish people have been dispersed, they've been slaughtered, they have been scattered around the world. And whether it was Haman or Hitler or whether it is Hamas or Hezbollah, there has been a concerted effort over the centuries inspired by Satan for the annihilation of the Jews. On Israel's 60th birthday a few years ago, the then president of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, issued a statement on the 60th anniversary of Israel. Ahmadinejad said this, quote, Those who think they can revive the stinking corpse of the usurping and fake Israeli regime by throwing a birthday party are seriously mistaken. Today, the reason for the Zionist regime's existence is questioned, and this regime is on its way to annihilation, end quote. Ayatollah Khamenei said that Israel will be destroyed within the next 25 years. Khamenei said, quote, Allah willing, there will be no such thing as a Zionist regime in 25 years. Until then, struggling, heroic, and jihadi morale will leave no moment of serenity for the Zionists, end quote. Zionist, a backhanded reference to them as Jews. Iran launched two test ballistic missiles in defiance of the most recent Iran nuclear agreement, whatever that means. They fired two ballistic test missiles, and on one of the missiles, they wrote in Hebrew, quote, Israel must be destroyed, end quote. Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, said, quote, it must be understood what our problem with Iran is. It is not just its policy of subversion and aggression in the region. It is the values on which it is based. It denies and belittles the Holocaust, and it is also preparing another Holocaust. End quote. And I share some of these modern news quotes because I want you to realize the incredible similarity between the book of Esther and the greatest potential threat to the safety and security of Israel today. Because here we are 2,500 years later after this story, and the greatest threat to the security and safety of Israel and the Jews today is still Persia. It is still Persia. Listen, the region that we're talking about called Iran today has only be, been called the, the um, Islamic Republic of Iran since 1935. Before 1935, this land was always called Persia. So we're talking the same country, we're talking the same territory, just the names have changed. The supreme leader used to be King Xerxes. Now it is Ayatollah Khamenei. The chief noble used to be Haman. Now it is Hassan Rouhani as president of Iran. But the threat is still the same. There is a deep-seated hatred of the Jewish people. When I first started the book of Esther a couple of weeks ago, I had a man come up to me after the Saturday night service who will remain anonymous. He asked me to remain anonymous. You'll understand as I tell the story, but he gave me permission to tell the story. He is a special advisor to the president on international affairs. And he said to me that he was at a White House dinner in 2012 when President Obama hosted a dinner with Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. And the man, as he relays this story to me, said that it is customary at the end of dinners hosted at the White House 
where the president gives a gift to the dignitary that's been invited, and the dignitary gives a gift to the president. And he said to me that after the dinner was over, he was standing next to the president and the prime minister as they were exchanging gifts, and he said to me, I don't even remember what the president's gift was to Netanyahu, but he says, I remember what the gift was that Netanyahu gave to the president. The president unwrapped it, and Netanyahu had given the president a copy of the book of Esther in Hebrew. And the man said to me, he says, you know, except if you have a biblical view, you won't understand, but the not-so-subtle message that he recognized that Netanyahu was obviously communicating to President Obama was this. Mr. President, we need to take seriously the threat from Iran who has determined to wipe Israel off the face of the map because Persia tried it once before and Persia is going to try it again. Now, personally... I think that America should be as pro-Israel as we possibly can be. I think that we should be on the side of what God has said in Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless Israel and I will curse those who curse Israel. So I think personally as a nation, we should be intentional about being supportive and a good ally of Israel. That said, Israel doesn't need the United States. Psalm 122 verse 4 says that he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Israel has a better friend than the United States. Israel has God. And Israel will be defended by him who neither slumbers nor sleeps because he will always watch over Israel. But here's what God has determined to do. He often determines to express his divine and providential purposes through people. Enters Queen Esther into this story. Now much of the rest of what I'm going to explain in the time we have left is from chapter 4 of Esther. But here's what happens. First of all, I want you to again remember what I mentioned last week in our study. I want you to see God as having two hands, if you will. One hand is his visible hand, the way he works things that are seen, those we call miracles. And then God has another hand, figuratively speaking, and it is his hand where he works behind the scenes in unseen ways. That we call providence. And in the book of Esther, God is providentially working constantly because, again, as I said last week, God is not mentioned by name anywhere in the book of Esther, but he is clearly evident. And one of the first ways we see him evident in this story is he has intentionally positioned Esther as the queen of Persia who is herself a Jew so that she can have a very influential role in helping to whisper into the ear of the king in this very trying moment here. So God has orchestrated events here such that now Esther, queen of Persia, is in this very influential role. Because God understood and God knew, as he knows all things, that this evil, wicked, Satan-inspired plot to destroy the Jews is being hatched in the heart of Haman. And so God is already preemptively dealing with this. Esther is now queen of Persia. And chapter 4 tells us that Mordecai, which the Bible says became like her adoptive dad because her parents had died when she was young, he's her older cousin, that Mordecai hears about this edict to destroy all the Jews. He himself is a Jew, and he's mourning and grieving in the courtyard next to the palace. Now, Esther is somewhat sheltered about what is going on in Persia because she's living within the palace. She hears that Mordecai is crying and weeping. She sends out the chief eunuch of the king's palace, a guy by the name of Hathak. She says to Hathak, go out and find out what's wrong with Mordecai. And then there's this back-and-forth conversation in chapter 4 through Hathach the eunuch, back and forth from Mordecai to Esther, okay, because Esther's now queen. She doesn't kind of associate with the commoners, if you will. And so she's not out there to have 
a dialogue with Mordecai directly. So back and forth is this conversation. I want you to go to chapter 4 with me and look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 4, verse 6. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. All right, your attention. So Hathak takes this back to Esther. Here's the edict. This is what Mordecai is upset about. And he urges you, Queen Esther, to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy for the Jewish people. Now, Esther has a vested interest in this because she herself is Jewish, right? But she sends word back, and I'll paraphrase it. She says, tell Mordecai, I just can't go waltzing into the king's presence because even though she's queen, still in that day, the culture is, you just don't jolly well go into the king's presence unless you're summoned. And if you're not summoned and you happen to rush in there because there's some urgency, the only way you won't be killed is if the king's in a good mood. He's had his coffee that morning, and so he's in a decent mood, and he extends the gold scepter to you. If you get the gold scepter, you're good to go. Otherwise, she says, I'm going to die if I do this. Now, by the way, I do want to point out to you, I don't want to overlook this. In verse 11, there in chapter 4, the last part of verse 11, where she says, the only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life, okay, just underline gold scepter there because I want everybody to always realize that when you read your Bibles, Old Testament and New, Jesus is revealed throughout the Bible. This is a picture of Jesus here. How so? We don't have access to the king. Okay? God is seated on his throne. We by ourselves have zero access to the king except that the king, God, has made gracious provision to us by extending the golden scepter that we might have mercy and forgiveness. Jesus is the golden scepter for us. He is the one by whom we have access to the king. In fact, in Hebrews 4.16, it talks about it so that we have now access to the king. Therefore, Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace. Hear the royal terminology, the throne, God seated on a, on a throne. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is for us the golden scepter that has been extended so that we might have access to our Father the King. So here's that picture here in the middle of the book of Esther. Well, when Esther sends word back now to Mordecai, I can't do this. I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm not sure I have the courage to do this. This is what happens. Look at verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Look at verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Please note with me that Mordecai teaches us some important things about the providence of God. Two important things from verse 14. The first one is this. He basically says to Esther, Esther, God will either take care of us through you or in spite of you. We need to understand related to the providence of God that God's purposes are not hinged 
on any one of us. You know, whether we are obedient or disobedient to God does not hinder or somehow limit the providential plans of God. Because if Esther didn't do what she needed to do, God would find someone else. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, God will just find someone else. God is not up in heaven feeling limited like, I hope these people do what I need them to do. Because if they don't, you know, my plans are going to get messed up. I mean, that's not God, right? I mean, he's going to do what he does with or without us. So that's the important thing to recognize that he says to Esther. He says, Esther, you know, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But the other important thing to understand about providence is the rest of verse 14 Mordecai says to her, and who knows, but that you have become, that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. He says, Esther, could it be that the whole bachelor contest thing between you and King Xerxes and how you got the last rose and all that sweet stuff, could it possibly be that the reason you got that rose is because God wants to use you in a providential way for the rescuing of the Jews? Could it possibly be that you have risen to this royal position for such a time as this because God is going to use you for a very incredible purpose? Esther, this could be God's providential assignment for you. The reason you're here at this palace at this particular time married to this particular guy is because this particular plot is happening now and God is going to use you for his purposes. Have you ever stopped to consider your own life? Have you ever stopped to consider God's providential plan in your own life? Have you ever thought to yourself why you are where you are? Have you ever considered why you ended up in that particular job? Have you ever wondered why you met those particular friends? Why you went to that particular college? Why you were led to this particular church? Why you live in that particular town? Why you have those particular neighbors? Why your kids go to that particular school where you met those particular parents? And became friends with them. Have you ever considered the providential hand of God on your life and wondered, why does he have you where he has you for such a time as this? How God has perhaps orchestrated the events of your life up to this point. Now maybe for some of you, you are where you are and it's not ideal. I imagine that for Esther, where she was, was not entirely ideal. I mean, we went over it last week about the whole selection process, which wasn't the most honoring way to, to choose a wife, okay? I'm sure there were some things about her role that were not ideal, but maybe the same is true for you. Maybe it's not what you asked for, where you are, where you are at this particular time. Maybe at times it even seems mundane where you are and without purpose where you are. Your stage, your status in life, your particular position, whatever it might be. But could it be, could it be that God has you where you are right now or will move you where you're supposed to be, not just for you, but for the people around you? That God has placed you where you are for such a time as this because he wants to do something through you. And it's no coincidence where you are. I want you to take this note if you take notes. This is the main takeaway from this teaching. God is always positioning us according to purpose. God is always positioning us according to purpose. Some of you say, well, I'm just a mom. Yeah, but you have that daughter or son to influence for such a time as this. 
Some of you serve in the medical community, but you have those patients for such a time as this. Some might say, well, I'm, I'm just retired. Yeah, but now you're at a season of your life when you can mentor younger people or you can volunteer at a place where maybe your influence is necessary for such a time as this. Some of you will say, well, I got a job transfer to this place and I didn't even ask for it. Yeah, but there might be some co-workers that need to know Christ and so God has assigned you right where you are for such a time as this. Some of you say, well, I'm a lonely college student. Yeah, but maybe God has you where you are for such a time as this because he wants to show you that he is your very best friend. You see, look, I don't believe in coincidences. I look at the Bible, and my understanding of God is that He is a providential God. Now, I get that He doesn't arrange every nuance and minutia of our lives. But in the grand scheme of things, we need to look at our lives, where we've been, and where we are, and where we might be heading, who knows, except God, and recognize that God is at work in a providential way, weaving the tapestry of our lives, the good of it and the bad of our lives. And I'm not suggesting that God made those bad things happen to you. I'm not saying that God was behind an intentional design to cause grief or trouble in your life. But I know this much, that God uses the good of our lives for his glory and he redeems the bad of our lives for his glory. Amen? And that he will take everything about us for his purposes for some divine grand scheme. And we should never limit God and think to ourselves that we have no particular purpose because you might be exactly where you are because God is up to something through you and it may not have much to do with you yourself. It may have to do with those around you. When you look at the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, ended up in Egypt. Gets down to Egypt, thrown into prison for about 12 years. I don't get the picture when I read the story of Joseph that Joseph is sitting around prison going, I'm just in the will of God. This is wonderful. And yet he was, you see. It wasn't that God delighted in his suffering, but God would use all the things that Joseph had been through for a greater redemptive purpose, the good of it and the bad of it. Because you know the story how God then elevates Joseph in a providential way to become the most powerful man next to Pharaoh himself in Egypt, So that eventually, when Joseph's family would come from Israel because of a famine in Israel, they would come to Egypt in order to be saved because of a famine. Because God had told Joseph to stockpile seven years of food and resources, and then God arranged these parts where Joseph's family that had been estranged from him, who had thought Joseph himself was dead, would be brought down to Egypt, not by coincidence, but because there was a famine in Israel to reunite these people for the saving of the Jewish, the budding Jewish nation. And Joseph, when he's reunited with his family, looks at them. And many of you know this verse at the end of the book of Genesis, where he looks at them and he forgives them for their betrayal and for leaving, them, leaving him for dead. And he looks up at them and he says, what you intended for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many people. And Joseph had this wonderful perspective that even the good and the bad of my life, God was weaving something I didn't understand. But now I have a better understanding of what God was providentially doing behind the scenes. And we need to be asking ourselves questions like these. What is God up to in my life for such a time as this? How does God want to use me for such a time as this? What is the real purpose for why I am where I am? for such a time as this. Now, how it plays out in Esther's life 
is the rest of the story we'll get to next week. How it plays out in your life is for you to determine between you and the Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been taking us through the book of Esther, the story of a young orphan in a foreign land who was made queen and then used by God to save the Israelites. This book is such a great encouragement when we face hardships and trials. Was today's message encouraging to you? Do you want to share it with your friends? Today's teaching and a collection of other messages can be found on our mobile app through our podcast or online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find so much information on our website, including companion resources from Pastor Gary to dig deeper into his studies on a variety of topics. We'd also invite you to check out the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to invite you to join us for weekly services. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to dig deeper into God's Word and worship Him for all He's done and is yet to do. Find directions and service times at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. We pray you feel God's presence in your own life today as you draw closer to Him. Join us again for more on Esther's incredible story right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.